what's going on? One word, listeners. Hey, we are pumped to bring you another episode of Leadership Sessions. Today, we have Dr. Eugene Hobbecker on with us, the former president of Taylor University, as well as the American Bible Society. He's got a wealth of information and a big desire to share it with us. He's also recently authored a book titled The Softer Side of Leadership, which we get to hear from him about. So here we go with Dr. Eugene Hobbecker, part one. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Word Podcast, another great leadership session. We are so honored today to have Dr. Eugene Hobbecker with us, who was our president, my president for a year, Nick's president for two years yes. at Taylor University. So Dr. Hobbecker is president emeritus of Taylor University, also served as president at Huntington and the president of the American Bible Society. He's also the chairman of Christianity Today and has authored many books, most recently, The Softer Side of Leadership. Dr. Hobbecker, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a joy and a thrill to be with you guys. Awesome. So we wanted to start off today by asking you what position you are leading from now and what was your journey there? Well, as, as you noted in the introduction, I had the great joy and privilege of serving in, a, in an official leadership assignment or assignments as a CEO for 35 consecutive years. And of course, in those roles, uh, you know, you have the positional authority you know, to make decisions and to write memos and basically say, we're going to go this way versus that way. Now, in this phase of my life, I don't have any of those positional authority uh, responsibilities and everything has got to be done by uh, more by persuasion. Come let us reason together, which I think actually is the way leadership should work anyway. You know, not by command control, you know, playing the power game, but by having the sense that particularly for Christians in, in, in leadership roles, the sense of seeking where is God leading and how is the spirit directing? Um, you know, I'm thinking of a verse like Acts 15, 28, you know, after the Jerusalem council, which was a time of great ethnic tension and pressure, you know, the apostle James announced the decision of the Jerusalem council. And he, he said this in Acts 15, 28, the Holy spirit and we are in agreement. And I think that really is the way that should that's the way that should mark leaders. You know, it's not just what the leader's idea is, but God's spirit will direct the people in the same way that the spirit of God directs leaders. And so I think there needs to be that weeness of the, uh, of the, of the enterprise rather than just the, the leader, so to speak, coming down from the mountain and saying, God's given me the idea and here it is now snap to it. Uh, mm -hmm. Because the Holy spirit creates and, 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 and cherishes unity you know, in the body of Christ. I'd like to say it this way. You probably heard me say this at Taylor, that the spirit of God doesn't lead people in opposite and divisive directions. Wow. We may, we may disagree, but we always agree agreeably, not in a divisive way, you know, that tears apart and destroys. The spirit won't do that. You know, and you see that emphasis on the unity of the body of Christ uh, throughout the, throughout the new Testament. And so I think that's one reason why a leader, there's safety in a leader coming to the people and saying, here's what I, I'm hearing from the Lord. What are you hearing from the Lord? You know, uh, let me give you a, a quick example. Nehemiah, God put on his heart the fact that he was to go back and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. King, 
he told the king, the king gave him a lot of stuff, money, troops, supplies. He goes back, didn't tell people what he was about or why he was there. He went and did his own examination of the walls himself. And then he got people together. And then he said, here's, here's what God is, is, is saying to me about what we need to do here. In essence, what do you think? And then I, I love this passage where the, where the people, the people respond, let us go do it. You know, it moves from only my idea and it becomes our idea. And I think that's really what, what leaders, leaders who follow Christ need to be about. It needs to be about uh, the weeness of the enterprise, not just my idea, but our idea together and then empowering people uh, to go out there and, and do their, their various roles. And you see that again in the book of Nehemiah, how they, he organized and how everybody had their own role and did their own thing to help repair the wall. Yeah, that's a great perspective to take on just being a leader, not necessarily the one in charge, but the one that rallies everyone together in unity towards right. something. That's great. And so, so now the things that I'm doing, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm mentoring leaders, I'm doing some consulting, I'm chairing a couple of boards. Uh, you know, it's, it's that weenus, what can we do together? Uh, and it's not out of a position of authority. In fact, let me give you my definition of, of what a leader is right now, and then we can use use that to uh, unpack, you know, further discussion. Here's the definition. It's a, very, it's a relatively short uh, idea, but a leader is somebody with influence. It could be positional. It could be voluntary. But somebody with influence, you guys both have influence, somebody with influence who empowers followers you know, it's so that everybody in the enterprise knows what they're about, what they need to, you know, what they need to do. And that's another whole, you know, interview in terms of getting organizational clarity in the enterprise. But a leader is somebody with influence who empowers followers to achieve. You, 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 you do something, you want to accomplish something in your leadership. You know, we want to we want to move the needle to get from here to there or whatever that is, you know, a shared purpose. You know, so those are the key elements. Uh, a leader is somebody with influence who empowers followers to achieve or accomplish a shared or a common purpose. And I think those are the four elements that I think mark, and I think biblically, uh, this is illustrated time and time again, uh, of what leaders uh, try to do. You don't play the power card. You don't say, I'm the boss, you know, snap to it. It's, it's sharing a vision and making sure it becomes clear it has to be a common vision. It has to be a shared vision. And that's, I think, when, when, when God takes that, guided by his Holy Spirit, that we, we see some incredible results that, that occur in uh, the places where God has positioned us to lead. Yeah, and I love that that definition doesn't rely on a job title or exactly. a certain position organizationally of influence. It can be applicable to virtually, I guess, anyone, anywhere. That's well, think of the, the influence that a mother has in a home. True. That's, I mean, when you think about that definition to a mom, a person of influence, the moms have influence. Absolutely. You know, uh, who are their followers? You know, who are their disciples, if you will? You know, the little ones or the, the bigger ones, you know, the, in the home, you know, to achieve, we want them to become God's people, you know, during the course of their development. And it's, it, it's a common, you know, a, a shared purpose, you know, a family needs to have uh, some kind of shared goals. I mean, the young people you work with, Nick, you know, those uh, fourth and fifth graders, mm -hmm. uh, you know, not every home has a shared vision or a shared goal of what parenting should look like or what does a responsible parent do? I mean, so, and when, when parents have that, that, that common goal, that shared goal, 
you're able, and in the lives of what you're trying to do, watch what God does. I mean, uh, so yeah, it, it fits in a variety of a variety of sectors, not just positionally, you know, yeah. with a with a a title of authority. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, moving on a little bit. So, you were the president of Taylor University in Huntington for a total of how many years? Well, I was president for 21 years in higher ed. I was okay. president of Huntington for 10 and at Taylor for 11. Okay. So 21 years of experience in higher education, working and dealing with and leading young leaders. So in your eyes, what's one common denominator of young leaders that do really well? Well, I think there is uh, a couple of things I could say, but the one that jumps immediately to the top is these people are, these young people are eager to learn. Uh, they want to learn. Now, let me, and, and one of the things that I, I talk about in, in the book is self-discovery learning, which is the idea is the future belongs to the learning, not to the learned, if I can, if I can make it. We have a tendency to say, well, gee, I've got the degree and, you know, so I know, it. no, I mean, you need to commit to being a, a lifelong learner, you know, no matter how many degrees you have. I mean, Peter said it this way, I'll come back to your, your, your question in a moment, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's that applies to every believer. You know, you don't say, well, I'm now 40 and I've now got it all together. No, you keep growing, you know. Uh, uh, actually, I'm digressing here a minute, but it's I'm, I'm at your question. Young person's eager to learn. You know, I, I, I asked students, uh, my most recent experience with young people at Taylor, as a matter of fact, was this past fall, where I spoke in chapel on leadership, you know, and I talked about the importance of having the heart of a shepherd, you know, the attitude of a servant as yeah. critical qualities that leaders must exhibit. And so I got a note from the sophomore class president who said, would you be willing to meet with me or a couple of guys so we can flesh out the ideas in your book. And so I said, well, you pull together the group. I want to make sure it's, you know, it's men and women and students of color, et cetera. I want it to be a representative of the kingdom. And so there, for the course of the fall semester, I had one of the most exciting learning experiences of my life, sharing and learning from these, you know, you know, 10 to 15 students at any one time that would come about every two weeks and we talk about leadership. And they were eager to learn. And so one of the questions we, I asked them, I said, what does it mean to grow, to grow in your walk with God? You know, that learner, be a learner. Mm -hmm. And so they said, they, they had a couple ideas. And I said, well, let me share with you the one definition which has impressed me and marked my life. You know, when I was a young dean, I was a dean of students at George Fox University when I was 28, you know, uh, like what the heck was I doing? I didn't know, you know it's, but, but the Lord opened that opportunity. And I hired as a staff member, uh, a young guy who just finished his master's degree at Berkeley. And so I was in part of the interview. I said, uh, talk to me about what does it mean to grow in your, you know, your faith journey. And here's the brilliant answer that he gave, which I think is the best answer I've heard yet to that question. What does it mean to grow in your walk with God? Here's what he said. It's the process of giving as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. Wow. It's the process of giving as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. So think of it this way. The more I get to know about myself, you know, think about the chapter in the book on self-discovery and learning. I go, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I had that kind of an issue. I gotta, I've got to grapple with that. Hmm. And then I say, oh, you mean Christ wants that issue as well? 
Well, yeah, he wants to be Lord of all. You know, we sing that in our in our gospel courses. You know, so so I may think I'm doing fine, and then I'm I'm studying the scripture and I'm reading. I'm going as much of Christ as I know. The more I get to know of who Christ is and what he wants for my life, and the better I I get to know myself. I'm I'm involved in this great exchange. I'm constantly giving him this area, and this area, and this area, over to his lordship. And I think that's really what growth is, because the more I study and engage the scriptures, the more I understand better what his desire is for me. And of course, as you know, this this was a, a heartbeat of mine at Taylor. I really wanted students to really understand this whole process of the importance of engaging scripture, you know, as, yeah. as a thing to illuminate my life and say, yeah. all right, you want that too, Lord? All right, you got it, you know. And sometimes I maybe was less willing to give it to them than than, but uh, but but that's 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 the kind of thing these students were eager to learn that, and I think uh, they didn't feel like I mean they they knew a lot absolutely they did but they were they were hungry to learn more, and I think wherever you have that kind of, of scenario where you you're dealing always with learners whether the people are sixty or whether the people are thirty or whether the people are in fourth or fifth grade maintain that attitude of a learner and make that a lifetime aspiration. Never stop learning. And you see people freeze, you know, they get to 70. Well, there's nothing more to learn and, and atrophy sits in, you know, and they begin to go backwards. Never stop learning. I mean, that would, that would be the first thing that I, that I would say, you know, commit wow. to being a lifelong learner. I love it. I think that's so good. And it's, it's something that doesn't seem to like make, like logical sense for a young person to go, oh, this person, Dr. Hobbecker, he would never have the time to spend with me or my friends. But in reality, every time that I've, you know, had someone who spoke at chapel or a church service, anytime I've gone to approach them, they've pretty much always been receptive to answer that question. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so that eagerness to learn, that's good. Well, Mary Lou's and, 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 and my mission at this, at this phase, and it's been here uh, for a while is to help develop a new generation of global kingdom leaders hmm. and that has young people written all over it you know a new generation and i want i want people to get it right because i think there's so many bad models out there of what what a leader sh a leader should not look like and i want to try to to counter that with a, a different model a different way of thinking about leadership yeah yeah and that's i think josh and i can attest to that in understanding that since being at Taylor and even since graduating, we say all the time that if there's anything we, we came away with, it was an understanding of not only the information that we learned, but more importantly, how to learn and how to yeah, continue yeah, yeah. learning and growing. And even that has been a theme on these leadership sessions. And before that, in our podcast episodes, great, I remember great. back in the beginning, we, we had someone on who said, when you stop growing, you start dying. Yeah, and, exactly right. And another exactly prominent right. leader yeah, said the same thing that one of the keys to success for a young leader is to continue to learn and just to be hungry for, for more. So that's, that's great. Um, all right, Josh, I'm done talking, dude. Get us back to these questions. <laughs> no worries. Hey, you, you mentioned it already, Dr. Hobbecker, your new book, the softer side of leadership that addresses soft skills that leaders right. need to develop and transform themselves and their team. Would you be able to share what led you to write your next book on this topic? Well, let me let me start out by saying this is something I had to learn. I, I did not start out in my leadership journey as a champion of soft skills. 
I, I celebrated and maybe bowed down to the, uh, the primacy of hard skills, you know, the analytical stuff, the rational stuff, you know, and somebody who said, well, I don't think we ought to do it because it just doesn't feel right. I would like, are you kidding me? You don't want us to do this because you don't think it feels right. But then, of course, you know, living with Mary Lou, uh, she is the consummate soft skill person. I mean, she has taught me so much. Let me give you a, one of the ways in which I began to realize that I, I was I had a, a soft skill deficit in my leadership style, if I can put it in those terms. You know, I'm in the presidency early in the presidency and we I was interviewing for a senior leader. And we had two days of interviews and I had, boy, I had it down cold. I had quantitative, you know, scores on every, uh, every person who, uh, you know, uh, who had like 30 people that did interviews. And so at the end of the day, there was one candidate that was clearly, you know, had the highest score, you know, you know, hard skills tend to be about measuring stuff. Soft skills are a lot harder to measure. You know, they're, they're not as quantifiable. Uh, and so the last thing we did in that interview process is I brought the candidate, and in this case, it was a, a male and his wife to our home for a dinner. And so, you know, we had a really nice dinner. They went home and I looked at Mary Lou and I said, well, what do you think? And without batting an eye, she said, the person will never work. And I went, what? How can you say that? I mean, we've spent two days of hard-nosed interviews and I've got scores and scores and scores. Two years later, when the person had to be, you know, gone, it's like, oh my gosh, what did I miss? And then it happened a second time. And I go, all right, there's something here that I have been missing in my leadership journey. And that's really what, uh, uh, that, that really was, is what got me into this whole area of soft skills. And I began to think about all of the things that are requisites in leadership that are difficult to measure. I mean, I can, I can, you know, the, the book I wrote before this one called uh, rediscovering the soul of leadership, you know, I could, I could talk about, okay, leaders do this and leaders do that. And here are the, the jobs of what leaders do. But this one, it's like making time for sacred space in your life to hear for the voice of God, making, you know, room in your, your life to think deeply about issues. I mean, normally you don't see those kinds of things on a position description or how do you embed a culture of forgiveness or what does trust look like or, uh, you know, things of that sort. So, you know, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of soft skills out there. But these are these are 11 or 12 that I really felt are, are really important for leaders to get a hold of. That's how I got into soft skills. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing that. And thanks for being vulnerable to share a story where you didn't do the right thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, I mean, that's part of being learning. You know, if, if I if I if I don't learn from my mistakes, uh, you know, a, a mistake is never a mistake until it's a mistake from which learning doesn't take place. You know, if, if you simply make the mistake and don't learn from it. But otherwise, it's a learning experience. That's and you guys you will make mistakes. But gosh, what have we done wrong? I mean, how could we avoid that? I mean, and I, I, as I work with leaders and I work with boards, that's one of the things that I, sh I share with them. When, when, when some, something doesn't work out and you have to let somebody go, I mean, the tendency that you, you, you go to is like, well, the person didn't do this and didn't do that. And you tend to focus on the person that didn't work out. But I, I think as a leader, you need to also say, what could we have done differently? What could we have done better? You know, even if we hired the wrong person, what did we miss in the interview process that would have revealed that person's weakness 
that would have saved us from a lot of turmoil, you know, later organizationally. So I think the learning needs to be ongoing. It needs to be, you know, when you, when, you know, when you make decisions in leadership, you need to be willing to look at what happened and, you know, how could I have done that better? Or, you know, one of the things that I, I say to people, uh, I quit at, at some point in my leadership journey, I quit asking the question, okay, so what's wrong with this idea? Hmm. We are uniquely blessed with the ability to point out what's wrong to people. You know, we, you know, they, they can't do this and they don't have this and et cetera. And maybe you guys have been there, but I, I don't think that, I mean, that's too easy because it doesn't, it doesn't get the, the person to weigh in to say, well, here's, here's what we should be doing. You know, so the question I now ask people, like I did this all the time at Taylor and, uh, you know, ABS as I was learning this, this skill, I, I, I don't ask, I didn't ask anymore. So what, what's wrong with this idea? I asked this question, what have we missed and how can we do it better? Hmm. I need your input. I need your best thinking because you're going to see it from a different angle than my own angle. And that's how, I mean, that's part of when I said to my definition, a leader is a person of influence who empowers followers. I need to understand as a leader that somebody in the enterprise is going to foresee the error of my way. And I need to create a culture so you feel free to weigh in and say, have you thought about that factor? Well, actually, no, I haven't. I mean, I'll give you a Taylor example on this. When we designed our uh, – one of the first things we did in leadership was design a new mission statement at Taylor. And here's the way it first read. The mission of Taylor University is to develop student leaders, you know, uh, uh, marked by a passion to minister Christ's redemptive love to a world in need. And we were very happy about that mission statement. But then one day I'm walking across campus and a faculty member comes up to me and said, do you realize I think we can make that better? And I was like, really? Tell me how. He goes, well, you know, what you have is a book of judges mission statement where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. You don't have any anchor points. You don't have any benchmarks. You don't have any qualitative standards that anchor and context love. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going. Uh, what do you what do you suggest? He said, why don't you make it like this to develop servant leaders marked with a passion to minister Christ's redemptive love. And you guys know what the next two words are and truth to a world of need. Now I have now I have anchors. Hmm. Now I have benchmarks and I'm saying, oh, my gosh, how did we miss that? <laughs> you know, and my point is, if we had had a culture that says we got it all right, you know, no additional improvement is necessary. You know, that faculty member probably wouldn't have shared that idea, but because the culture hopefully was open, he felt free to share with the president a way to make the idea better. And it was like, how did we miss that? I mean, and the board adopted it like instantaneously as a, as a much better way of saying our Taylor mission statement. Yeah, that's so powerful to have a culture that is uh, encouraging of leaders and empowering those, even if they aren't explicitly pulled into a meeting and asked for their opinion. But just a conversation on the sidewalk going maybe to chapel or on your way to the DC or something. Uh, that's, well, that's I, awesome. I, I can't tell you how many great conversations I had outside the office when I was at Taylor. It's why I quit driving places and started walking places because I would run into students. I'd run into faculty. I'd run into staff uh, who added value. It's why I say to the leaders for crying out loud, don't 
you know, hang out only in your offices. Of course, now during our, our days of, <laughs> of COVID-19, that's a little different, but in yeah. normal kind of situations, be out there, you know, uh, like the Bible talks about Samuel, he traveled the country, you know, uh, doing his job. And I think that's a metaphor for how leaders should be mobile and, and not just hang out in their office or have people come to their, you know, throne room, so to speak. Uh, but to get out to where the people live, have meetings in their offices, not just in yours, as the case might be. Man, so much good stuff from Dr. Habecker. We're so thankful that, that he took the time to join us on the One Word Podcast. Um, if you guys enjoyed it, or if you have enjoyed any of our other episodes, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen Give us a rating, share on social media. That helps us out so much. And we are so excited because we're not done with Dr. Habecker just yet. We've got part two coming next week. And we will give you guys a sneak peek because it starts with the hot seat. That's right. Dr. Habecker is on the one word hot seat. So you can't miss it. Stay tuned for next week. Until then, have a good one. Mm-hmm.